you would remain standing, take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to John chapter 16. John 16, we'll begin at verse 16 and read tonight to the end of the chapter, verse 33. Hear now the word of God, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is God speaking to us. So let us pay close attention. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. You, you ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. But the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now... You're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. The grass withers and the flower fades away, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday evening we looked at verses 4 through 15 of John 16. And we heard Jesus telling his disciples that he was going to send a helper. And that helper that He sent was the Holy Spirit. He told them how the Holy Spirit would be sent to them. 
We then also learned of how the Holy Spirit ministers in the world and how the Holy Spirit would minister to the apostles, especially in giving them the very words to write as the New Testament. And so tonight, Jesus knows of His disciples' sorrow. They, they are sorrowful because of what He's been telling them concerning His going away. And we have all experienced sorrow in our lives. And, and in the midst of us, we, of, of such sorrow, we may have asked the question, will things get better? And the answer is yes. Things will always get better. Just as we also know the reverse for us, things could also always could also get worse. But we know eventually they will get better. And this is especially true for the people of God. The disciples are about to face great sorrow as the Lord leaves them in His death and eventually will leave them in His ascension. But Jesus wants these men to know that the sorrow that will come upon them will be turned into joy. That they will not remain sorrowful forever. And so we see tonight three ways that the disciples' sorrow will be turned to joy. And the first is this. The, the, disciples' sorrows, the disciples' sorrow will be turned to joy because of the resurrection. In verse 16, Jesus talks to them and tells them that in a little while they would no longer see Him. And then again in a little while that they would see Him. Now the disciples are, are quite confused. As to what Jesus is saying here, they begin to ask questions uh, to what Jesus tells them in, in verse 16. In verse 18, they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. And we know why the, the, the disciples are, are sorrowful because of the fact that Jesus was about to die. Jesus already told them that one of them was going to betray him. That he was going away. And again he tells them here that he must leave them. But yet they will see him again. Now how will the disciples see him again? Well in the resurrection. He's referencing the fact that he will be raised from the dead. And because of that he can say to them in verse 20... Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. The death of Jesus was great joy to the world. The world rejoiced when Jesus died. They thought that they had rid themselves of this one who would dare say he's equal with God, who would call himself the Messiah. But yet, at his death, the disciples would mourn because of their love for him. Because they are losing their master, their teacher, the man who, who has taught them for three years, the man that they have walked with for three years, heard his teaching and preaching, saw the miracles that he performed, and, and they were truly friends with the Lord. And so this sorrow and lamentation and grief that they would experience, it would not 
last. They, they, they would come to understand eventually that his leaving them, his death was benefit for their benefit and ours as well. And so the sorrow of the disciples would be turned to joy. In verse 21, Jesus uses an analogy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Every one of you women who have had a child know exactly what he's talking about there. The anguish of childbirth, the pain of childbirth. But once that child was born into this world and you held that child in your arms, that pain quickly vanished. It will be the same with the disciples. They will sorrow. They have sorrow at this very moment, Jesus tells them in verse 22. But He will see them again. And when He sees them again, they will rejoice. Now as one commentator states, it was not only that their sorrow give place to joy, but be turned into joy. Their sorrowing became joy. The very cause of their sorrow, the death of Christ, now became the ground and subject of their joy. Grief would not only be replaced by joy, but be transformed into joy, even as water was turned into wine. That is what the resurrection would do for the disciples. When they heard that Jesus was raised from the dead, they would rejoice because he told them. I'm going to die, but in three days after my death, I will be raised from the dead. Now this moment, they are not understanding what the Lord is saying, but they will at the resurrection. These things will become clear and they will understand even more of what Christ had told them while he was on this earth. John Calvin put it this way concerning the joy. The value of the joy is greatly enhanced by its perpetuity. For it follows that the afflictions are light and ought to be patiently endured because they are of short duration. And that was the case for the disciples. Their sorrow lasted for a very short time, three days, and then that sorrow was turned into joy because Jesus was raised from the dead. But then there's a second reason the disciples' sorrow will be turned into joy, and that is because of prayer. In verses 23 through 28, Jesus then teaches them something about prayer. In that day, you will ask nothing of me, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. Jesus teaches us several things here about prayer. First, the nature of prayer that is indicated by the very word ask. 
Jesus tells the disciples that in that day, they would ask nothing of him. And whatever they asked of the Father, he would give it to them. Now once this word refers to asking something of Jesus. The other four times, it refers to asking something of the Father in Christ's name. But the thing is that they are treated as parallel. To ask Christ is to ask the Father. To ask the Father is to ask Christ. Jesus here considers prayer to the Father as identical in the essential nature with the conversations that the disciples had with Him while He was upon the earth. As James Montgomery Boyce states, if we see this clearly, we see that prayer must be lifted out of some mysterious realm of religious rites or practice where only special people can go and instead be brought down to the common experience of normal men and women. And we know that to be the case. Every one of us here tonight, we can pray to the Father in the name of the Son. Or we can pray to the Son in His name. We can pray to the Spirit as well. We, we, we do not have to be those who are considered more holy than others to pray to God. Prayer is simply our talking, our conversing with our God. But He also teaches something of the privilege of prayer. This is implied by what we have just said about the nature of prayer. As a result of the, the death and resurrection of Christ. Those who will come in his name may come to the Father. With the same freedom and boldness. That the disciples were able to approach Jesus while he was on earth. Tonight we can come to the throne of grace with boldness. Not because we are deserving. But because Jesus is there. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Our great high priest is constantly making intercession for us. And so we can go to the Father in prayer. And we can speak with God the Father as freely as we speak with those around us here this evening. Then we hear of the conditions of effective prayer. And that is simply this. The, the frequent repetition of praying in the name of Christ. Jesus tells them how to pray. They are to pray in His name. In verse 24 He says, Until now you have asked nothing in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now this teaches us that those who try to pray to God apart from Christ, that they are wicked. They profane the name of God. Those who try to approach God in any other way except through, through Jesus. They, they profane God's name. And Jesus here presents Himself before the judgment seat of God. And so we pray in the name of Christ. We take Him as our advocate to reconcile us and to make us find favor with the Father. And then we hear that joy. We heard it a moment ago that if we ask uh, Christ and we receive it that our joy will be full. Believers in Christ can ask the Father in the name of Christ anything. We can ask and plead the name of Christ as our motive and come to God 
and the value of the person of Christ. And God not only hears us, but then will answer us according to His sovereign will. The benefit of prayer is great. It cannot be expressed. As one commentator puts it, prayer is the dove which when sent out returns again bringing with it the olive leaf, namely, peace of heart. Prayer is the golden chain which which God holds fast and does not let go until He blesses. Prayer is Moses' rod which brings forth the water of consolation out of the rock of salvation. Prayer is Samson's jawbone which smites down our enemies. Prayer is David's harp before which the evil spirit flees. Prayer is the key to heaven's treasure. And so prayer in the name of Christ, prayer in which we are united to Christ and approach God through the merits of Christ brings great joy. Jesus says in verse 26, And that day you'll ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Now the Father does not love us because Christ intercedes for us, but Christ intercedes for us because we are the special objects of the love of God. And so this connection, as we pray in the name of Christ, God will hear us. Why? Because He he loves Jesus and He loves us. And we believe that Christ has come from God and He is going again, He tells His disciples. But then there's a third reason the disciples' sorrow will be turned to joy, and that is because Christ has overcome the world. Now in verse 29, we hear the disciples saying, oh, now you speak plainly. Now we are are understanding what you are saying. We know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Now they do not fully understand, but the light is beginning to shine. Again, later they will more fully understand. Understand. But they knew from where Jesus came. He came from God. And they had faith in the Lord as that one who had come from God, the Messiah whom God had promised throughout all of the Old Testament. Every Old Testament scripture that mentioned the Messiah, they knew, they understood this is Jesus. And so they express their faith in Him. But notice what the Lord does. He challenges their belief. He challenges their faith. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The Lord knew what was ahead for these men. He knew that in very short order, all of them but one would run away. The one that would not run away would be John. He would be there at the cross and 
And it would be at the cross that Jesus would then give Mary, his mother, over under the authority of John. But the rest of these men, they they will go away. They will not be found at the cross. Peter will follow Jesus at a distance. And he will see much of what Jesus went through, but he will deny Jesus three times. They, They will be scattered. They will each go to their own home. They will leave the one that they had followed for three years. But yet, Jesus would not be alone. For the Father would be with Him. And so Jesus tells them at the end, that He tells them all these things, that they might have peace. Now notice what He says, what we'll have in the world. In the world, we will have tribulation. Now, there are many in the church that believe a a great day of tribulation is coming in the future. But no, that day is now. The church, the people of God, they go through great tribulation between the first and second advents of Jesus. But yet we have nothing to fear. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. We can have peace tonight. We can take heart and we can we can have boldness and courage because of this fact that Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome all of his and our enemies. And so we can have joy in the midst of sorrow. We can have joy in the midst of trials and tribulations. And so what application can we make here tonight? Well, first of all, as we know, we live in a world filled with sorrow. But we know that sorrow will not last. We know that one day that sorrow will disappear when we see Christ coming in His glory. You see, just as the disciples' sorrow was turned to joy at the resurrection of Christ, so too our Sorrow will be turned to great joy at our resurrection. Yes, we will all die as the Lord tarries. We'll be placed in a grave or in a tomb. And yet we'll be raised again to the newness of life. Everlasting life if we have faith in Christ. And then all the sorrow that we have in this world will disappear. And we'll be replaced with the joys of the new heavens and the new earth. And what are some of those joys? No more sin. Why is this world filled with sorrow? Because of sin. Because of the fact that our first parents transgressed the law of God in the Garden of Eden and brought sorrow and sin and misery and death into this world. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no more sin. There'll be no more sickness and more death. Our bodies will be transformed to live forever with Jesus. And He will never go away from us again. Second, often we are perplexed, we are discouraged, we are discomforted by the circumstances in our lives. But know that when we take those circumstances to God that He hears us. Jesus reminds us tonight as we ask in His name 
the Father hears. That when we ask anything of Christ, we are also asking the Father. If we ask anything of the Father, we are asking of Christ and the Spirit. And again, we can ask of God the Holy Spirit as well. We can ask of any of the three persons of the Godhead. We can pray and we know that as we pray to God, He hears us. And He answers us. Again, even a non-answer is an answer, isn't it? We pray for something or someone over and over and over again and, and maybe we do not see them come to faith in Christ and that's God's answer. They're not a part of the elect. Or maybe we do not see them come to Christ in this life, but we may well see them in the new heavens and the new earth. But God did hear our prayers. And He always answers our prayers according to His will. Third, now today we live in the days of tribulation. We live in the days between the first and second advents of Christ. But this too is only for a season. Now some say, well, isn't there a greater tribulation coming? No, not, not according to the Bible. We are living in it now. And I'm sure if we had the opportunity to ask someone tonight who's facing death for the fact that they are a Christian, are you living in the great days of tribulation? What are they going to say? Yes. Uh, I'm about to die for my Lord. But that too is only for a season because one day again Christ is coming and all of those who have persecuted the church, all of those who have put the people of God to death and, and taken livelihoods away from them, God, Christ, will deal with them. God has not forgotten about the blood of the martyrs. Christ will deal with those who have persecuted His church. At the same time, it's amazing as well that some of those persecutors of the church will also come to faith in Christ. That they will see the faith of believers that they persecute and they will be brought to faith in Jesus as well. Fourth, Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome Sin, He has overcome death itself. And guess what? We also will overcome all of these things through our being united to Christ. Now you may not think that you're an overcomer tonight, but you are through Jesus. Through what Jesus has done for you in His life, death, and resurrection, you too have overcome the world. You too have overcome sin. And one day you will overcome death by the power of God. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too you will be raised from the dead. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, isn't it? That because of the resurrection of Christ, we can count on the fact that we who are in Christ will be raised to everlasting life. But to be in Christ means you are united to Christ. And so finally, are you united to Christ this evening? How is it that we are united to Christ? Well, by faith. The disciples said this evening in our text that they believed that Jesus came from God. 
And so do you believe this saying tonight? Do you believe that Jesus came from God? That He was sent by God to be that great final sacrifice for sin, for your sin? And have you put your faith and trust in Jesus as you have turned from your sin and turned to Him? If so, then you are united to Christ. But if not, understand this, that that you need to be united to Christ because your sins are upon your head. You are under the judgment of God this very night and your sins must be forgiven. And the only way that our sins are forgiven is through Jesus. Again, there is no other mediator, no other Lord, no other Savior than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so come to Him this evening. Come and put your faith and trust in Jesus. And know that as you do that, your life will not get easier. It will get harder. You will have tribulation. Yet we hear the words of Christ, Take heart. I have overcome the world. May God add His blessing to the reading hearing and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You this evening for Your Word. And that we can have joy after sorrow as we hear of the disciples, that they too would have joy after the sorrow of seeing Christ crucified on the cross. And Lord, we know one day we will have that joy, that eternal joy of living forever with Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, I pray that all of us would experience that joy. And Lord, if there are any here tonight that they do not know the joy of knowing Christ, Lord, bring them to your Son. Change their hearts. Show them their sin. And bring them to Christ in faith and repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.